Welcome to Working the Word with Jonathan Vorse. Join us now for service already in progress at Lakewood Church of God. I want to talk to you today about exposing the heart of Jesus. Exposing the heart of Jesus. Touch your neighbor and say, God has a pretty big heart. <laughs> Amen. Exposing the heart of Jesus. Uh, John chapter 4 verses 1 through 29 is the story of the woman at the well. We're going to talk about that today. We're going to, I'm going to do a little exposition of it, take you through a couple of the verses, some of the verses, actually eight, I've selected eight different passages. Some of those passages have more than one verse uh, there in John chapter verse, uh, John chapter 4. Right now, I just ask you to pray with me. Father, we just come to you right now in the name of the of Jesus, in the lovely name of Jesus. God, I ask that you would touch me to be able to effectively communicate your word today. Touch the ears of the hearers to hear, their hearts to receive, we pray. May our understanding be enlightened. May my words be as the pen of a ready writer as we declare your works today. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. Amen. Now, we could read like we did in the first service all the way through all of the 29 verses, but I think that it's better if we just kind of uh, take them up piece by piece. The Bible said that in John chapter 4 and verse number 4, Jesus made the statement. He said, I must needs go through Samaria. Think the reason that Jesus said that he needed to go through Samaria was because he knew that there was an appointment with destiny with the woman at the well. Every single one of us in our lives that have given our life to Christ, if we've really given our life to Christ, can mark the day that Jesus came into our life. How many remember the day before you got saved? How many remember the day after you got saved? And how many remember the change that took place? Well, this just happened to be her day. This was her day. It was her appointment with destiny. It was her appointment with the master. So Jesus said, we're not going to go a different way. We're going to go through Samaria. And the Bible says in verses 6, six through 7 that Jacob's well was there and Jesus, being wearied with his journey, sat on the well and it was about the sixth hour. The sixth hour is significant. That means it was about noontime in Jewish time. So it was about noontime. Now, it's significant because Jesus knew that this woman would be there at that time. The good woman, women came to the well in the morning or in the evening. But she was trying to avoid the crowd, she, especially the other women in the community. She was trying to avoid them because her past was, let's just say, quite colorful. So she had a quite colorful past. And the Bible said that there she was sitting there about noontime. And there comes a woman from Samaria to draw water. And Jesus said unto her, give me to drink. So Jesus opens up the conversation with this woman at the well, this Samaritan woman at the well. Now we go on down there and we see in verse number nine, this woman says to Jesus, she said, how is it that you being a Jew ask drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria for the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. And we see and we learn from this that Jesus was willing to cross 
cultural and religious barriers to bring a drink or water to this parched heart. From this, we take away the fact that if we want to win people to Jesus, we're going to have to leave our comfort zone. Sometimes we're going to have to cross cultural barriers. Sometimes we're going to have to cross religious barriers. Sometimes we're going to have to wade into ways of life maybe that we've never been involved in before. If we really care about lost people, if we really care about reaching out to lost people and winning them to Jesus Christ, then we're not going to be as interested in trying to get them to become like us as we are in trying to go where they are and encouraging them to become like Christ. So the Bible said that Jesus speaks to this Samaritan woman. Now there's something very significant here because Jesus was a fifth level rabbi. Jesus was known as a fifth-level rabbi. To some people, he was already known as the Messiah. He was definitely known as Joseph and Mary's son, and he was also known as frequently standing in the temple and in the synagogues to read. And so the Bible says that Jesus speaks to this woman of Samaria, and what he was doing was he was risking his status and risking his reputation to speak to the woman at the well. Sometimes if we're going to win lost people to Christ, we're going to have to risk our reputation. Sometimes we're going to have to go where they are. And you know something? Most of the times lost people go places that saved people don't go. That's why Jesus said to go into the highways and the byways and to compel them to come in. And there might be times when God leads you to go to a place that is totally uncomfortable for you, something that is totally out of your character to talk to people that you normally would not talk to because God is interested in them too. Jesus said in, in the scripture, he said, why do we as lights of the world try to put our light under a candlestick? Why don't we just take it out and, and put it out there for all in the house to see? The Bible said a city that is set on a hill cannot be hid, neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it gives light unto all of those that are in the house. So what Jesus was doing, he was invading the darkness of her life and bringing light to her thirsty and lost soul. Jesus said to her, If you knew the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, Thou wouldst have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. So Jesus gets right to the point. He starts talking to her, and he engages her in conversation. We go on down here. The woman says unto him, You, not, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence, are you, from whence are you going to get this living water? So she's already still, actually she's still speaking and thinking in practical terms. Jesus is thinking in spiritual terms. Her focus is on the practicality of the moment. Jesus' focus is on the spiritual opportunity of the moment. Now, I want to, now let's go on. Art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well and drank thereof himself and his children and his cattle? So Jesus talks to her about this. Now, I want to I bring something to light here that you probably have never thought of. This woman at the well, now Jesus eventually tells her, he says, you know what, go get your husband. And she said, I don't have any husbands. Jesus said, you've rightly said so. You've had five husbands and the one that you're with now is not your husband. I told you she had a colorful past. 
That's probably why she was at the well at noon. She probably wasn't real popular with some of the women in town. So she was at the well at noon. This is probably what she was thinking. I'm going to mess you up for a minute. Are you ready? She was probably thinking, this dude's hitting on me. (laughs) Think about it. Think about it. Think about where her mind must have been. Think about the experiences that she'd had with other men. Think about this. She didn't know at that point that Jesus was the Messiah. She didn't know that. She didn't know. She had no idea what he was talking about. And he was just trying to have a conversation with her and trying to get the point across to her, I'll put a well inside of you of living water that, that, will, that will bring everlasting life to you. And she's probably thinking to herself, dude, I've heard a lot of lines in my life, but I've never heard the pickup line, hey, give me something to drink. So she sees Jesus, she probably sees him as someone that's hitting on her, someone that would be interested in her. Jesus engages her in conversation and he says, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again, but whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. And the woman said this, she said, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come here hither to draw. So I'm not real sure what kind of attitude that she had about this, but she sure wasn't calling him rabbi, and she sure wasn't calling him Messiah. She was just bunching him in to the other men that she had seen in her life. And so she looks at him, and maybe she said it like this, well, why don't you give me some of that water? Come on, big boy. Just give me the water. Give me the water. I'm tired of coming out here at noon. It's hot. I don't like to carry the water pots on my head and all of that. So just go right ahead. Give me the water so I'll never drink, never thirst again. Now, maybe that was the attitude that she had. And so Jesus, thinking, probably thinking, that she may have thought that he was coming onto her, immediately shifts the conversation a little bit, and he says unto her, well, why don't you go get your husband? And she said, I don't have a husband. Jesus said, it's true. You don't have a husband. And the one that you're with is not your husband. You've had five husbands. And the one that you're with is not your husband. Now, I've read, in fact, I was reading commentary this week. Some theologians think that all of her five husbands before had died. Well... I suppose we could go down that road. That'd be quite a stretch. I think that uh, she probably had some divorces in there. Jesus was reaching down to her in her broken state and and wanting to help her. However, if all of her five husbands had died, then we have a problem here because they were all married to the same woman and she probably killed some of them. You know, I'm just a practical guy. You know, I, I read these things in my mind. You know, the, my mind, it's not creativity, it's questions. I mean, my, my mind just starts saying this thing. And, G, and this woman, she looks at Jesus and she's like, well, he knows that I've had five husbands and he knows the one that I'm not, 
that I'm with now is not my husband. And so all of a sudden she looks at him and her attitude changes a little bit. See, he's moving her toward the revelation of who he is. Her attitude changes just a little bit and she said, See, sir, I believe that you're a prophet. I think that you might be a prophet. At that point, Jesus turns the conversation completely and he teaches her about true worship. He starts talking to her about worship. He's telling her, you know, uh, the, the day is coming when true worshipers will worship in spirit and in truth. And he tells her, God is a spirit and they that worship him, worship him in spirit and in truth. And when I saw that, I thought to myself, oh my goodness, Jesus was trying to teach this woman that the thing that he wants more than anything else is to have a relationship with between her and God where she knows how to worship. And my mind went, all the way back to the book of Genesis and I thought that's what God created us for. From the dawn of time, God has created man to have a relationship with them. Every single person in this place this morning, every single person walking on the street out there or out in the neighborhood this morning, every single one of us was created by God for His pleasure and our good. For worship. God would call to Adam. He would come down to Adam in the cool of the day and he would say, Adam, where art thou? And Adam would say, over here, God, peekaboo. <laughs> Adam, where art thou? Now, God knew where he was. God was messing with him because he knows our end from our beginning. God knows everything, you know. He, he, he's all-knowing God, omniscient. He's all-knowing God. God knows everything. Adam, where art thou? And God all the while knew where he was, and Adam, I'm here. And the Bible said that God would come down and walk with Adam in the cool of the day to have fellowship with Adam. All God was trying to do with the woman at the well was to take her back to that place that he had created her for. God did not create her to live the raucous life that she lived. God did not create her to have to go through everything that she went through, but she did. And because she did and because of sin, he was saying to her, listen, there's a better way to live. You can live with refreshing. You can, you can drink of a well that will cause you to never run dry. And I'm not near as interested in the fact that you've had five husbands and the one that you're with is not your husband as I am in what you're going to do with the rest of your life. So I offer you life today. So Jesus revealed himself to her as the Messiah. And she, listen, listen, Jesus tells her, he says, I'm the Messiah. Because she said there, if we go on down here in verse number about, let's see, yes, verse number 25. The woman says unto him, I know that Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. And when he is come, he will tell us all things. Now listen, First of all, she probably thought that Jesus was just this dude on Jacob's well that thought she was an easy target hitting on her. She has a little conversation with Jesus. She changes her mind and she says, I perceive, which means I think you might be a prophet. And now she starts talking to Jesus about the Messiah. And at this point, she, it hadn't been revealed to her yet. And she said, I know that the Messiah is coming, which is called Christ, which is the anointed one. And when he has come, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, voila, I'm here. It's me. I am the Christ. I am the Messiah. 
And then the Bible says here, and upon this came his disciples, <laughs> and they marveled that he was talking with her. Why did they marvel? They were probably whispering among themselves. Do you think he, I mean, he is the son of God, you know, and he's lived a perfect life. Do you really think he knows what she is? Do you think he really knows the kind of woman that she is? Obviously he did, but, but they were probably like, and the Bible said that they were just marveling that Jesus was actually talking, first of all, to a Samaritan woman and, then, and, and risking his reputation and risking his status in society. And now all of a sudden, it's not just any Samaritan woman, it's that one. It's that Samaritan woman, you know, the one that they're talking about all of the time, the one that's had five husbands, the one that is living in sin right now with someone that she's not married to. And, and, and here Jesus is, and the Bible said the disciples came back from town and they marveled that Jesus was talking to her. But the Bible says there, if you read through it, the Bible says there that none of them had any, enough guts to talk to him about it. They're like, they marveled that he talked with a woman, but no one said, what are you seeking or why are you talking with her? Why? Because they probably were afraid of the answer. Then look at this. The woman leaves her water pot, goes her way into the city, and says to the men, not the women, says to the men, come and see a man which told me all things that ever I did, is not this the Christ? So Jesus had an appointment with destiny with this woman at the well. He started through conversational evangelism and he ministered to her. Jesus knew that she was a Samaritan that it very possibly could mess up his reputation in that part of the world. Jesus knew that she would question him. Some people don't like to be questioned for some reason. Anyway, Jesus knew that she would question him. Jesus knew that she was on dude number six. Jesus knew that. Jesus knew that, and Jesus knew that she was hurting, and he still said, I love you. And he leads her down this conversational journey where he reveals to her in fragments and pieces, moving her closer and closer and closer to the revelation of who he is. He reveals to her that he is indeed the Messiah. Now let me say something to you about conversational evangelism. Conversational evangelism is probably one of the most effective ways to win lost people to Jesus. Jesus did not save us from sin, take the weight of that sin off of us for us to stay inside of the four walls of the local church and to shout till Jesus comes. No, no, no. 83% of the people who come to church and give their life to Christ came because someone invited them in a conversation. Only 2%, and, and thank God for the 2%, and we'll keep going after the 2%, but only 2% 
of the people that give their life to Christ give their life to Christ because of street evangelism. And only 1% and in some cases less than 1% are now giving their life to Christ because somebody went door knocking. They went out and knocked on the door. Remember years ago when we used to go door knocking? We used to go knock on the door and we used to say, I remember I was a kid. I was like seven, eight years old. And we would say, and mom and daddy would tell me, and it worked back then. And mom and daddy would tell me, they would say, now either we're going to go door knocking or we're going to go soul winning. So there were two things that we would do. We would either knock on the door, and if we were knocking on the door, and we were reaching out there in Granby, Missouri, and we were just door knocking what we were doing, we were inviting people to an event that was coming to the church. And so they would open the door, and I'd say, Hi, my name is Johnny, and my daddy pastors the Pentecostal Lighthouse down the street, and we're having a revival this weekend here. We want to invite you. And I would give them that little card. Not card, a little poster. You know, one of them old crank printers, you know? Remember those crank printers? We would do that. We'd take those out and we'd pass them out. Now, when we went soul winning, I've seen my mother do this so many times. When we went soul winning, we would knock on the door and they would answer the door and we would say, hi, I'm Johnny. If you died right now, where would you be? And they would look at me and a lot of times I'm just this little whippersnapper of a kid, you know. And they would look at me and they'd say, well, I think I would be in heaven. I think I would go to heaven. And, you know, I'd been taught well. And I'd say, well, the Bible says in 1 John that you can know that you have eternal life. So if there's a question, we need to pray. And I would win people to the Lord, 8, 9, 10 years old, just by knocking on their door. I've seen my mother do that. I've seen one time I was with her. Oh, my goodness. I was with my mother, and my mama's not real big, you know. She's, she's still not real big. She's, you know, she's getting older now. She's up in her 70s, and she's up in Grand Rapids, Michigan. But she, might, she used to be kind of like this tall. Now she's like this tall. But she's not real big. And I've, se- I've seen my mother. She knocked on the door. This great big old biker guy came to the door, and she looked up at him like that. And he said, can I help you, ma'am? And she said, hi. She said, my name is Wanda. And if you died right now, would you go to heaven or hell? (laughs) And he said, well, I hope I would go to heaven. She said, that's not good enough. And I thought, dear God, she's going to get us killed, you know. (laughs) She stood there and took that man down the Roman road. I watched her. I watched her. Well, the Bible said in Romans 3.23 that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The Bible said in Romans 6.23 that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The Bible said that if we confess our sins, Romans 10.9 and 10, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Yeah, and then, and then so every now and then somebody would say, well, I've not been that bad. And she would say, well, the Bible also says that if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all. Our... Listen, the word will work every time, church. The word will work every time. And I've seen so many of those guys give their life to Christ. Well, that was, let me see. Uh, oh, Lord, 40 years ago. That was 40 years ago. That probably won't work today. Only 1% of the people or less than 1% of the people that give their life to Christ come to Christ now because somebody knocked on their door and did that. How people come to Jesus today, listen to me, how people come to Jesus today 
is through conversational evangelism. Doing the kinds of things that Jesus did right here with the woman at the well. I mean, not telling her, I know who you are and I know what you've been up to. No, not that. But I mean, just (laughs) having a conversation with them. Jesus used everyday examples to communicate timeless truths. Jesus did not use Christianese when he was talking to her. He didn't tell her, if you give your life to me, then I'll justify you of all of your sins and then we'll get you sanctified. And you... Jesus didn't use those terms. They can't understand those terms. The lost, they, you start talking like that around the lost and, and they're going to look at you and think you've lost your marbles. They have absolutely no idea what you're saying or why you're saying it. It makes no sense to them. So here's the thing. When you're trying to win people to Christ, when you're trying to do that through conversational evangelism, don't use Christianese, all right? Don't use the King James Version in your everyday speech. Hello, how art thou? (laughs) Well, I'm doing fine. How art thou? Well, I'm doing greatest. Praise the Lordeth. Just talk in everyday common language. Teach them through conversation. Just let them know, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. And let them see Jesus shining through you. So Jesus did not use Christianese on this woman at the well. He didn't try to wow her with his theology. There was a little smidgen of theology in there. And you know what? Most of the time when you're trying to win lost people to Jesus, you're going to get that little smidgen of theology. They're going to try to convince you that I know what you're talking about when they probably don't know at all what you're talking about. But listen, it's not necessary for everybody to know everything about the Bible in order for them to make a decision to follow Jesus Christ. No, 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 no. They don't have to know everything. And listen, I don't know everything about the Bible, okay? I've studied the Bible my whole life. Every day, not every day, every week, two two or three days a week when I'm really into the Word, really getting ready for the messages and stuff, there's times when uh, I'll be working there in my office and all of a sudden they'll hear a woo come out of my office because I saw something I've never seen before. So people thinking, you know, us thinking that we have to have all of the answers Now, that's just a trick of the enemy. You don't have to have all of the answers in order to share Christ with somebody. Okay? Now, Jesus didn't wow her with this theology. Jesus did not try to impress her. She was probably used to being, you know, men trying to impress her. Jesus did not try to impress her. He won her through a conversation. Now, here was the conversation that he had. This was his message. His message was this, are you thirsty? He knew he was thirsty. He wanted to drink a water. But he knew she was thirsty. After all, she was coming to the well. Thirst is used in the Bible many times to show the condition of the soul. In Psalms chapter 63, verses 1 and 2, when when, when he was in the wilderness of Judah, O God, a psalm of David when he's in the wilderness of Judah, O God, thou art my God. Early will I seek thee. My soul, my mind, my will, and my emotions, my soul thirsteth for thee. My flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land. Look at this, where no water is. Listen to me very closely. Sometimes the only fountain that a lost person 
has to drink from is the well that's inside of you. Did you hear me? I said sometimes the only fountain that a lost person has to drink from is the well that God put inside of you. He said, my soul longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. Lost people are searching for what we have. They're trying to satisfy the thirst with alcohol, with drugs, with pornography, with addictions. They're trying to satisfy the craving and the thirst with job promotions and bigger homes and bigger cars and bigger bank accounts. And, you know, I've got a lot of friends who are wealthy. I really do. I have a lot of friends who are wealthy. And they all tell you the same thing. They'll all tell you that money does not buy you happiness. And they love me because I treat them like they don't have anything. I mean, I don't treat them according to their bank account. I don't treat them according to the things that they have because I realize that every single one of us are allotted a specific time upon this earth. And what we do with that time is really what's going to matter when we stand before God. And then he cries out, he says, My soul is thirsty in the dry and thirsty land where no water is. My flesh longs for you. And, I, and, and here's what I'm longing for, to see thy power and thy glory as I have seen thee in the sanctuary. Later on he would write, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Here's what I've learned. And we can do this through conversation. Sometimes when we're talking to lost people about giving their life to Christ, sometimes all it takes to get them to give their life to Christ is just a little spiritual snack. Just a small conversation. I'm not talking about being a Jesus freak. I'm not talking about badgering someone. I'm not talking about beating the gospel down them. That's never going to work. In fact, the Bible said that it's not a gospel of condemnation. That's what it says. There's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And Jesus didn't come to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. That's John chapter 3 and verse number 17, not 16, verse number 17. So it's not a gospel of condemnation that's going to work. It's a gospel of the love of God. And so if we can ever get lost people into a small conversation maybe for them to begin to experience what it's really like to live for God, then the presence of God and the power of God and the anointing that's in that moment will do the rest. So he said right here, he said, I want to see your power. I want to see your glory as I have seen you in the sanctuary. The very thing that drove David on was the experiences that he had had with God in the sanctuary. And he said, I want more. I want more of you, God. I want more of your presence. I want more of your power. I want more of your glory. I want more anointing. I want to experience you like I experienced you way back there in the sanctuary. But Lord, I don't want it just to experience it in the sanctuary anymore. God, I want to experience it out here in the nation. I want to experience, listen, I'm expecting God and I'm believing God and I'm praying for and I'm fasting for and I'm asking intercessors to pray that the glory that comes into this house will start instead of just coming 
moving into this house that it'll start coming on West Pasco. I mean, when people are driving down the road, I want them to experience the presence of God. Not to weird them out, not to make them feel strange, but I want them to experience the love of God when they drive down the road in West Pasco County. And then I wanted to stretch to the rest of the county. Then I wanted to stretch into the region. Then I wanted to stretch into the state. Then I wanted to stretch into the nation. And then I can see the day when global revival, the power of God will stretch across the earth as the waters cover the sea. Hallelujah. The love of God encompassing the world. It starts by being thirsty. Revelation 22, 17, And the Spirit and the bride say, Come, and let him that heareth say, Come, and let him that is a thirst come. And whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. You'll never be able to buy what you need from God with your money. You'll never be able to buy what you need from God with your talent. You'll never be able to buy from God what you need with your time. It takes total and complete surrender. The price was already paid 2,000 years ago at Calvary. And he said that he would put in us a living fountain that would never run dry. John 4, 14, Jesus talking to the Samaritan woman, Whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. Isaiah chapter 12 and verse number 3, Therefore with joy will I draw water out of the wells of salvation. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. In Jeremiah chapter 2, in Jeremiah chapter 17, the Word of God declares that Jehovah is the fountain of living water. So the conversation that Jesus had with this woman at the well that moved her from thinking he was just another guy, you know, a sir hitting on her, to the realization and the revelation that he was indeed the Son of God, the Messiah. The conversation that Jesus had with this woman had to do with her thirst. And then there's one more thing. That woman ran into town. We don't have that entire conversation. We don't have it. We have pieces of it. That woman ran into town. And here's what she said to the men. She said, come, let me show you a man, listen to me, that told me everything I have ever done. Is not this the Christ? The confession of Christ. Now, I think the unspoken thing that was said there was, he knows it all. He's the Christ, the Messiah. He still loves me. He knows it all, and he still loves me. What if Jesus had a conversation with you and told you everything you had ever done? Be kind of embarrassing, wouldn't it? 
I mean, I don't think there's a person living that would be real comfortable with that conversation. Some of it would be exciting. Some of it would be disappointing. Some of it would be joyful. Some of it would be painful. This woman told them, she said, she said, you know, and, and this was the unspoken truth. She said, there's a whole bunch of people in this town that know who I am and what I've been up to, and they don't care for me. That's why I have to go at noon to get my water. But he's the Messiah, and he knows it all, and he still wants me. Wow. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. While heads are bowed and eyes are closed and no one's looking around for just a few moments. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 11 and verse 28, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You may have wandered into this place today as a guest. You may be at home on live stream watching because somebody told you you need to watch us on Sunday morning. They watch from around the country. And you may say to me, Pastor Jonathan, I wasn't expecting these emotions. I thought I was just coming to church. But God has reached down inside of me and grabbed my heart today. And I realize I need to get my life right with God. If that's you, I'm going to ask you, we have people up here to pray with you. The altars are open. I'm going to ask you to come and just kneel at the altar and pray. And let an altar counselor work with you and minister to you and try to help you get your heart right with God. Those of you that are watching on live stream and in the house, if you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior, the Bible does tell us in Romans 10, 9, and 10, if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart that God raised Him from the dead, we can be saved. So right now, I just want you to pray with me and say, Dear Lord Jesus, I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I ask you to come into my heart and make me a Christian. I believe that you're the Son of God, that you died on Calvary for my sins. I also believe that you rose again, and now I confess you as my Lord and my Savior. Give my life to you today. You say, why do you ask people to come forward? Because Jesus said, if you deny me before men, I will deny you before my Father, which is in heaven. If you prayed that prayer today to give your life to Jesus, you need to tell somebody before the sun goes down. You need to testify about your newfound salvation and about your relationship, the relationship that you have with God. Listen, 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 listen. God really does love you. 
if you don't take anything else away from this message today, please, please remember God loves you. He knows it all. He knows everything that you've done that's bad. He knows everything that you've done that's good. And He still loves you. And He offers you everlasting life. Now, we're going to open these altars and anyone that wants to come and pray can come and pray. Before we do, we're closing a little different today. We're just going to close around the altars for prayer. But I want to challenge every single person in this place today to pick five people in your life, in your sphere of influence. Go home today and write down their name. Every single day, people that, five people that don't know Jesus, every single day, I want you to pray for them. And when God opens up those small opportunities for small conversations, I want you to have those little conversations with them. And ask God, Lord, help me win these five people to you this year. This year. How many will do that? Come on, let me see. Just go home and write them down. Just write them down. Say, Lord, just see, here's, here's what's happened with the church. We have become too focused on ourselves. And we need to be more outward focused again. Jesus called us to be a light to a lost and a dying and a hurting world. And we have a stewardship responsibility to take the message of God's love to the world that's around us. I'm not asking you to be a Jesus freak. That will not work. I'm saying live in such a way for Christ around these people that they are inspired to ask you questions about your faith and lead them through conversation to Jesus. Now here's what we're going to do. I want you to turn and high five somebody. Give them a high five. Give them a high five. Now listen. Listen. From this day forward, for the rest of this year, when you come into church, I want you to find somebody and just high five them. High five. For the rest of the year. Why? Well, that doesn't mean attaboy, because it used to mean that, right? Attaboy. Now it means I got my five. I got my five. Come on. And when you high five somebody, you're like, I'm believing with you. Praise God. I'm believing with you. I believe for your five. You believe for my five. I'm believing. Hallelujah. I'm not interested. I've never been interested in building this church off of other churches. The way, the New Testament model to build a church is to win lost people to Jesus Christ. And that's what we're going to do. Amen. Thank you for joining us on Working the Word. For more information, go to our website at www.suncoast4, and that's the number four, Jesus.tv. You may also write us at 12637 Pony Lane, Hudson, Florida, 34669. Or you may call us at 727-856-1770. Our office hours are Monday through Wednesday, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m., Thursdays, 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. 
And remember, the Word will work if you work the Word.